It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041-983-1100. You're very welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Lots of guests to come, including our vet Sinead Kelly. If you want to put a question to her, now's your chance. She's here from two till half. 086-1800-658 for your pet problems by WhatsApp or text or you can call in now on 1850-715-958 and if you're somebody who's trying for a baby and maybe finding it a little bit difficult Kira Wright is here she's absolutely brilliant and she specialises in the whole area of nutrition and fertility for men and women she'll be with us on the show a little bit later on but first up today let me tell you about a, a wee girl who's two years of age her name is Zoe Murphy she was born a normal baby girl looked to be fine but each milestone she was approaching in life her mum Linda recognised that all wasn't right and eventually at 18 months a year and a half she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy her mum is on the line and in studio with me is a member of the family Anya Murphy I want to say hello first to mum Linda Bannon hello Linda Hi, Jerry. I hope you're all right, because we better tell them what happened. You were on your way and the car broke down. It did. It broke down the motorway. I just lost all power, so I had to pull in. So I oh, my God. Are you okay? Time. Are you all right there? No, yeah, yeah. oh, I'm fine. Yeah, no, um, we had a hospital appointment with Zoe and Drada, but I got that rescheduled anyhow, so it's, it's all good. Okay, right. And you're, you're fit to have a, a little chat with us. Take me back to when she was born. I'm right to say she looked normal to all intents and purposes. She had the early tests in hospital and everything. Everything seemed to be okay? Yeah, no, everything was perfectly healthy. Um, it was only a student midwife that was in the delivery room because everything was going so well. Um, she was discharged home the next day. She was eight pounds, so a big, healthy baby. Um, no signs of anything. No, no trauma, no, there's no reason why. The brain injury that she was diagnosed with, the PVL brain injury, it's normally associated with premature babies or the lack of oxygen during delivery or, mm. you know, there's normally a, a, a significant reason why, but we hadn't got any of that with Zoe. Okay, so, and you take her home and away we go. And there are three other girls, she has three older sisters, yes? Yes, yes. So, we like trying to compare babies as they grow up, but you just don't. You know, every milestone she wasn't hitting. And anyone I spoke to told me not to compare to my other girls. Maybe they're just developing differently. Yeah. That was that was basically what, it, in my heart of heart, I knew there was something 
gap. Something not right. More to it, yeah. Yeah, and having reared three of them, you do, you do see they are different, but as well, there are significant things that you start to feel, hold on a minute, there's something not right here. So you went back. Was she tested a number of times? Um, yeah, what, what I kept going back and asking, at this stage, six months old, she wasn't able to lift her head up. Um, so she was, we were still supporting her head and stuff. And anyone, even if it's your first baby, you know yourself that that's not... You know, it's not right. She's a, she looks perfectly healthy, but unable to lift her hands, couldn't um, open and close her hands, couldn't use a spoon or, you know, the thought of even moving her on to pure to food was a no-go. I, was, I knew that was never going to be able to happen because pureed food, she'd still choke on. So small things like that started to become more noticeable to me. Mm. So, so, like, as a parent, I was obviously overprotective as well and anxious so maybe I you know maybe I did look into a lot of things too early on but I like I just knew no but listen Linda hold on a second you've been proven right in the long term your instinct from the start has been absolutely correct because at 18 months a year and a half tell us exactly what she was diagnosed with so um well at first at 10 months old um we Got, I asked for a hip x-ray because I thought like when I put her on her belly, she was crying a lot and seemed to be in pain. So after the hip x-ray, it, it showed up hip So it meant her hips were dislocated, her left more so than her right. Okay. So um, she had hip surgery at 10 months old and then was placed in a spiky cast. So a spiky cast is a cast from the chest down, all the way down to the ankles. So she was in that for four months and that was a very tough time. Oh more so for God. me and her dad. Like She mm. smiled for the whole lot. You know, people were looking at her, looked so uncomfortable, but it never took a fidget out of her. She smiled through the whole thing. It was more, it was harder for me and her dad than, than herself, really. She yes. took it. Perfectly. She adapted and, and, and got on with it as such. But what a brave little girl. What a, yeah. a restriction for four months of your life, head to toe in plaster. So you move on from there. She comes out of the plaster and you, you, the months go by. She's up to, what, a year and a half at this stage? Yeah, well, while she was in um, the spike, I went to consultants and I, we went privately and I asked for an MRI, a full MRI, because I just wanted to see head to toe. Um, so she went down for an MRI while in the cast, but there was a mix-up with her records or something and they only done her spine at this stage. So it never got to the brain. So then, unfortunately, we are told another six months waiting list to get another MRI, even though it was a hospital mix-up. So we had to wait, but at this stage, I 100% knew. I had the word cerebral palsy in my head. I didn't want to say it out loud to anyone because I didn't want to put fear in anyone, you know, if I was wrong. But I had it in my head and my heart that, that that's what we were going to we were coming to. Um, but even still after the brain MRI at 18 months when we got the diagnosis, even though I already knew my heart, being told those words, you know, it's on an, you can't I can't explain what it what it felt like. Even though I, I thought I knew, I thought I was prepared. But you're not. You're never prepared. No matter what you think it might be, only it's only when you see it on paper and you're told directly what it is that, you know, it just takes the life from you, I suppose. Mm, But you have to move on and and move on for her as well and look at your options. And by God, have yourself and Eamon done this. You really have. So the first thing, you you got bad news. They said what? That she would never walk? She would never talk? Um, Her talking, because she was so delayed, it was probably not going to happen. She was choking and everything that she'd try and eat. So her muscles in her throat and her mouth weren't working properly. So, you know, like the neurologist that told us, it's his job, you know, he, people before him and after him, he was probably given bad news to also. So it's very matter-of-factly to him. You know, while he's saying these words, our life is changing forever. But to him, that's his job, you know, and 
it obviously is used to it at this stage. So we walked out of the office and we went through a grieving process. No doubt about it. You know, I, I we weren't strong. I wasn't strong. I was just so deflated. I didn't know where to go or what to do next. So for the next few days after the diagnosis, we focused on what she couldn't do. And I remember waking up one morning and I just decided, you know what, I'm going to focus on what we can do with her and give her the best possible outcome we can. So that's what we, we went from there. We started to focus on what she can do. And the more positive positivity we put into it, it reflected in Zoe. Yeah, so absolutely. So it reflected and she, um, she started to, oh, she started to become amazing. The doctors couldn't believe it. You know, we took her in and she's chatting away. She's smiling. So things really did. The more positive we came and the outcome, like we tried hard. We went to physios everywhere, OT. We've done everything we possibly could. Um, but then we found the, the surgery in America and that's, that was a changing point in our lives for us. Now tell me about that because you've done all you can on the ground here with physio. You've used the CBD oil, yes, as well to, to yeah. help her along and that's been very successful. And as you say, doctors yeah. are astounded by this little lady. Now, the United States, this uh, specialist, paediatric neurosurgeon at the St. Louis Children's Hospital in Missouri, he's Dr. T.S. Park, Yes. Correct, yeah, that's him. We were lucky enough to meet him last April. Um, it's a fantastic we get-together that happens here in Ireland every year. It's um, families who have gone over from Ireland to St. Louis, Missouri, to Dr. Parks to get the operation. And then it's families like ourselves who are curious and want to know more. So we all get together. You know, it's, he comes over and everyone gets together. We get to see the surgery, the, the success of the surgery in other children who's gone. So it's not as if we're just on a whim and we, we don't know like we've got to meet every family who's gone over from Ireland um, Courtney Manning she was very um, she'd done a lot of fundraising she was 18 when she went over and she came running into the room bouncing into the room whereas before she was wheelchair bound so things like that is just you know there and then like it's, it's major surgery it's spinal surgery so it's not something you want to take lightly but but you, um, but you know, and you've been told, and she has been assessed, that this surgery, when it happens, will be absolutely life-changing for Zoe. Yeah, it will. Um, our our main goal was to get rid of this spasticity that was causing her pain every evening and every night, especially in the cold weather. That was our main goal, to get get her out of the pain that she's constantly in, and walking would be a bonus. But after we've just been away um, down in ACO for the weekend, meeting a specialist who's worked with post and pre-SDR patients, and she has, she didn't have, like, she, she wouldn't say it if she didn't think it, but she said that with this surgery, Zoe will come on leaps and bounds. So there's a tremendous opportunity here. But as we know, when you have to go to the other side of the world, across the Atlantic to the States, this costs money. How much will this cost? So overall, it'll be 100000 and that will be for two years in intense therapy afterwards because... The operation, it's not a cure. You know, there's no cure for cerebral yeah. palsy, unfortunately, but it is life-changing. But without phys- physiotherapy afterwards, intense, like three to four times a week, it won't be of any benefit to her. So we need to keep that up. So all in all, it's costing €100,000. And this man, Dr. Park, is a renowned specialist in the world. He's helped over 3,500 children and and young adults as well uh, to get a new path in their lives, to change their lives completely. You need to get to see him sooner rather than later, don't you? Yes, yeah. The best time um, is between two and four because as the body grows, more deformities will happen. And because of Zoe's hip 
dislocating and her spine is curving at the moment. So, you know, we can we can see it. Um, the more MRI she gets, the more sp- the X-ray she gets, we can see her body get more deformities. So, definitely, the, the sooner the better is is what Doctor Parks would would advise. Also, um, you know, it's he's he's amazing. It's actually amazing, even for someone who doesn't know much about cerebral palsy or the operation. It's amazing to have a look and see what he actually does, and he gets involved. Like, there's a Facebook group there, St. Louis SDR for St. Louis, Missouri, Ireland group. And he gets involved in that group. He chats to families through the Facebook page. Like he's so, he's really involved and really, you know, believes in what he does. Mm. And you know you'll get a place there, you'll be taken, he will take Zoe under his wing, yes? Yes, yeah, he, he's happy to take Zoe. He thinks she's a, an ideal candidate. In studio today is Anya Murphy. She's a, a member of the Murphy family. Anya, you're very welcome to the show. Thank Thanks you for joining much, me. Sherry. Thank you for coming in to us today. You were to be part of a double header. You are sort of because she's on the line and you're here. You she's know what I'm talking me. about. <laughs> no, she didn't. She didn't really. That plumbing car. Anyway, um, the Murphy family, tell us about this. You've rallied in here behind this little lady. We have um, Eamon, Zoe's father, Eamon Murphy. He's uh, a cousin of mine and we're part of a very, very big family. There is, uh, Eamon has 37 first cousin Murphys and we are a, we are a close-knit family. Um, we, we want to help and we decided to get together, aunts, uncles, cousins and form a little group and see what we can do to help Zoe on our way to America. Um, we got together looking for a few ideas, throwing a few ideas out. We, we've a big quiz coming up now in the set on the 2nd of November. And that has started a roller coaster of um, donations from companies, shops, organisations, both raffle prizes and um, very, very generous financial donations, some of them um, anonymous. The quiz is practically sold out at this stage and um, we were originally looking to reach about a five or six thousand euro target as a family to donate to the appeal um it looks like we're going to triple that now at this stage brilliant it is great we we have been the, the generosity we've just been blown away by local businesses um the, the help the, the the support that we're getting and um as a family together we because there are so many of us all over the world uh word has spread and throughout the country as well and the, the, the help we're getting is just fantastic so it's a great start you're delighted with the way it's begun and we do want to mention the dark football club you had a bucket collection at oriel right. park for this so there was a collection two thousand euro just was over raised the 2000 there isn't raised, that yes. fantastic um, there's schools around the county have had jersey days or were green days and um they have raised so much money as well everyone's just rallying around it um, with uh, in association with Dundalk Football Club, there are my uncle Jim. He has written a couple of books on the. Oh, he's indeed, a great Dundalk he has. Historian. Hello, Jim, if you're listening today, what a great man he is. He's going to be busy writing for the next few years with this wonderful Dundalk era and side they have at the minute. For He'll sure. be very busy. All he right. will. He will. Well, he has come up with a fantastic idea. He has um, produced a poster of all the different Dundalk football jerseys over the last 100 years. Yes. And it's on sale now for €10. Euros. All proceeds are going to um, Zoe. And those posters can be bought in Gold Star Jewellers, the County Museum, um, the Merchandise Shop at Oriel Park, or any of us Murphy family members, either Facebook, Twitter, yeah, we're all out it's there. a brilliant idea. All the jerseys are there on the one, and if you're a Dundalk fan, and come on, there's thousands of you out there, one a piece, and just think what this will do yeah. for the Zoe Murphy Fund. It'll it, be brilliant. It will. It'll raise thousands for her. Yeah, and it will. Every every penny is going is going to it. With the FA Cup final coming up now and Christmas. 
Yeah. It's a perfect gift. For, it is. For and I do fans. want to mention a former Dundalk player, Alan Keane. He was a part of the 2016 uh, winning side. And Alan, listen to this. Alan has put up his jersey and his medal uh, on his Twitter page, That's Alan right. Keane's Twitter page. And it was, what, about at 1,800 euros? It was, it? it was at 1,800 euros there a day ago. He's yeah. hoping to reach 2,000. Um, the closing date is the 31st of October. So anyone, it's it's it's, an, it's once in a lifetime yes. opportunity to get something like that, unless you're going to play for them in the near future. <laughs> yeah. um, and that close, the 31st of October is the closing date. Okay. So maybe so there's get in another, on that. There's another way you, you can help Zoe as well. well you, the, the table quiz is coming up and that's more or less subscribed at the list due on the 2nd of November That's right. what else have the Murphys planned? Well uh, in, in relation to that quiz at the moment it's practically sold out yeah. F- fabulous loads of lovely fabulous spot prizes on the night um, and it was this that started uh, a lot of the financial donations that we got we, we approached companies businesses looking for um, spot prizes and a lot of them have come up as I say with financial donations some of them huge some of them uh, everything is appreciated every single yes. penny counts um, it's in the Liz Do um, we, we've Adrian Kyo has been absolutely fantastic she's gone above and beyond to help us in, or in the organisation accommodating 60 tables of four people in their um, upstairs function area um, she she has really really accommodated us so well um, she's also sponsoring food on the night so that's going to be for at least 240 people and Adrian with the Liz do, and the Liz Do are going to sponsor So is that gone? Are the 60 tables booked there? We have a couple of tickets held back because okay. we know um, there is some people who are very very closely connected with um, right. the appeal and we know we just okay. we, we don't want anyone to miss out What's beyond it. that? What are you doing else? Beyond that then um, we have an event happening in the Marshes Shopping Centre um, in early January there's no certain date yet but it will be early January and that's going to be a bucket collection and quite possibly a raffle um, we have a lot of large prize donations that were given to us for the quiz and some of them are, are too huge Mm-mm. to give out for a raffle. So we're going to, that's why we've extended now. We're going to tie that events. into that. We're going to tie it in. That's in uh, the marshes have also given Okay, and are, are the rest of the stuff you're talking about, that's going to be next year as well, rather than the end of this year? Anything yeah. else before the end of the year? Nothing before the end right, of this year. Right, we'll leave no. that because that's a little bit away and we will push all those for you. I promise you here, right okay. across LMFM radio for you as they come yeah. uh, to fruition. So lots done, lots more to do. There yes. is, there is. And uh, anyone listening, listening we're we're open to any ideas anyone who has any ideas of their own we're open to them they can contact us on Facebook, on Twitter, or maybe even come through yourself, Jerry, and you can contact one Absolutely, of us. we'd anyone be delighted. Who, who ideas or anyone willing to help either. Um, Zoe Murphy, she's two years of age. She's just got to get this done as soon as possible in the States. Her mum is still on the line. Stick those headphones there back onto you, if you would, for me, uh, Anya. Um, hello. Uh, she's still Hi. there. You're listening intently to your sidekick here, telling us about <laughs> all the money that's been raised, all the events that are going on as well. You must feel very warm. You must feel so loved by this. It's it's absolutely amazing, Jerry. Like when we got the news, um, there was a surgery out there. It was bittersweet for us because brilliant. There's a surgery there, but there was a price tag on it. And myself and Eamon sat at home at night, and we didn't know where to start, how to start it, and we we were not the type of people who like asking for help either. So we were kind of sat in the dark. Um, then it just ball started rolling. Some uh, CBD Network Ireland actually started the GoFundMe page for us. They seen what we were going through, and I was going through a hard time. My mum was very sick, 
and has recently passed away. So we didn't know how to start. So somebody, the CBD Network Ireland group, they started for us and they got the ball rolling. And then, of course, with the Murphy family, they have been absolutely amazing. Like they've taken pressure off us. You know, they've they've done everything for us. We There's nothing we had to do ourselves. Like we want to help, but they, they don't need our help. And then um, there's actually a, a Dundalk FM DJ, Carl Collins. He contacted us. He's actually doing an 80s, 90s fancy dress night um, this coming Friday in Tolls Bar in Dundalk. Okay, that's another um, one. Yeah, another event uh, yeah. if you'd like to go along. Yeah, so people are coming towards us. Um, there's a darts night. A special, pers- sorry, a professional darts player, Mike, Michael Smith, is coming over from the UK. And he's going to play up against um, local pub teams and stuff like that in the clans in the clans hall in um, November. No, sorry, December seventh. Okay. So that's a, that's another one. There's people are contacting us, and events are happening for us it's all over the place. Amazing. And again, you've heard me say, let us know in here, and we'd be delighted to publicise these events for you as well on our community thank diary you. and across the shows. Is that okay? Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, really. No, not at all. Now, latest news from your sidekick in studio. She's just passed me a note here on your Murphy to say the GoFundMe page is at €25,000. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> quarter of the way there. You're a quarter of the way there at this stage. You really are. You're going to do this. You know that. I do. I, I do believe it now. I had a few dark days there when my, I couldn't get my heart and soul into it with my mum and stuff. But now... I'm coming out the other side of that and I'm folk- I know she would have wanted me to focus on this and this is what we're doing and I know we're going to get there. I, I be- truly believe we're going to get there with all the support we've had, all the help we've had from other people. I know we're going to get there. You are for sure and I want to wish you and Eamon and the Murphys and all the families and friends involved and thank, thank everybody who's rallied to your cause here today. Go to the GoFundMe page, just tell me again w- w- what it is Linda, where they can check it out. Yeah, so it's GoFundMe um, forward slash Zoe Murphy Appeal. Okay, that's Facebook it. Facebook is Zoe Murphy Appeal also. Okay, get on there. If you're listening today, every single euro counts, but it's flying along and they are going to make that 100 grand. America beckons next year. We're going to keep in touch with you and follow this story. But for the moment, on the side of the motorway, a maiden in distress. She's been rescued as we speak. <laughs> Listen, Linda, lovely to talk to you today. You're a wonderful you too, lady. Good luck to you and Eamon and little so Zoe and our sisters as well. And a big thank you in studio to Anya Murphy who joined us today. Anya, thank you so much indeed for dropping Thanks in for to us. Me, Wish you all well. God bless you. Thanks so much, Jerry. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, the Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Now let me assure you, you need these numbers for the next half hour. I promise you need them and you'll know why in a moment. 1850 You know that's the phone number here. Karen's on standby. We're waiting for your texts and messages on WhatsApp 086-1800-658. You know why they're key numbers this afternoon? Because if you're in the pet business, if you have a pet at home, the woman who can answer any question under the sun about them is with us. I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch, Vet Sinead Kelly. Sinead, good to see you. 
again. Nice to be back. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. Let me start with this one. And I have to say, I have a resonance with this first question that's come in on social media to us this morning. Here it is, Sinead. I've changed my dog's food recently and he's stubbornly refusing to take to the new food. The tray is untouched for a day or two at a time and I give in and feed him chicken or meat. I feel so sorry for him, which he then devours. What can I do to get him to eat the new nuts? Yeah, I mean, really, what you have you have to be quite strict. I mean, obviously, he's passed the chicken test, so you know that he, that he's not sick. He's eating chicken. You know that he's basically just preferring chicken to the new biscuits. Uh, I mean, some ways of increasing the palatability of the new biscuits are maybe to add a little bit of hot water to them and let them kind of soak a little bit in that. That sometimes makes them a bit more pal- palatable. Um, but if you're being really, really stern and you want to make sure the new diet is switched onto, then you just have to be strict. So instead of giving up and and giving chicken, then you have to offer fresh new biscuits every meal time until he eats them and he should eat them if he's a healthy dog and if he's hungry he should go to eat them but the problem is if you're stopping after two or three days and giving him chicken then he's going to know that if he refuses that food then chicken is in its place so you kind of have to it's a bit like uh, deciding something with a little small child you have to have a plan and go through with it um, because if you keep coming up with the more palatable option he's going to go with that so as I say try maybe soaking the biscuits in some hot water uh, otherwise then you just got to keep offering them twice a day fresh twice a day um, and, and ultimately in three or four days he should eat them if he definitely doesn't have them at the end of like three or four days well then you may be in a situation where he just really doesn't like the taste and you're going to have to try another food okay and just on that point where you say present new food so if I put dry nuts into the tray mm. and, he, and he doesn't take them should I take that particular quantity of nuts away and go to the bag again and put out fresh it depends if, if it was totally dry and you didn't have it's not being contaminated by dog saliva or you haven't wet it or anything then you're probably okay to use that again for the next meal then I would probably replace them the next day I wouldn't use them I wouldn't leave them out 24 hours longer than 24 hours um, and then just a note on introducing new food if you're going to go and introduce a totally new food rather than introducing it all of a sudden uh, 100% of it the best thing to do is have maybe three quarters of the old food with a quarter of the new food on day one then on the second day have 50-50 old food and new food on the third day have maybe 75 uh, new food 25% um, old food until you're on the, fully on the new food by kind of day day three or day four. Okay, good one there. So there you have it. Per- persevere. That's the thing. You, you shouldn't give up. If you give up, you're, you're goosed. Thank you for your question. Keep them coming to us. Here's another one, and it's about a dog as well. Our puppy facing into its first winter lives in an outhouse. Lovely bed, dry and cool. With winter on the way, should we increase the bedding to make sure he's warm? Uh, definitely you should. My question is, why is the dog not allowed to sleep in the house? <laughs> Um, that's obviously some people are very strict in Ireland it's a much more Irish thing than it was a British thing when I was living in the UK Uh, I mean normally I I mean it gets so cold at night in the winters here that sometimes I'd worry no matter how many blankets you have that it's not warm enough outside you know I think if it's sub-zero temperatures outside I think you should uh, you should let your dog sleep in the house Um, if it's above freezing then yeah definitely increase your your blankets and maybe just make sure that the the kennel is out of draft and things like that but I'm a bit of a softy you know I would the thought of of putting Cleo uh, outside to go to sleep I think I don't think we'd be uh, we'd be doing very well with it but definitely I mean it makes sense as the temperatures get colder you'll need more bedding um, and as I say, I think if you're getting to zero, I think you have to think, look, you know, the dog needs to come inside for that. What is good bedding? Just while you're on it, Sinead. Yeah, yeah. Our, our lad, I think we have old an old duvet under him yeah, that he yeah. loves to yeah, curl no, up Yeah, no, duvets into. are really good. And um, there's a kind of uh, fleecy kind of vet bedding you can get in the pet shops that they're very good. A few layers of that. And then duvets are really good, really warm. A duvet be very good insulating outside. So that'd be a good idea. OK. Uh, now, just come in from John in Navin. Thank you very much, John. 
Is white bread good or bad for dogs? It's not that it's good or bad. It's just that it's not particularly... I mean, I think even you'd argue for people... Would, nutritionists would argue for humans that white bread is a bit low on nutritional value in that there, it's low in fibre, um, it's low in protein, um, it's low in vitamins. So if you were to eat white bread on its own, then you would get very, very sick. Giving it to a dog as a little bit of a treat, um, I mean, you know, by that I mean giving a corner of white bread toast with a tiny bit of, uh, you know, spread or something like that that's probably fine but I wouldn't use it as a complete part of their diet because they're just not there's just nothing really nutritionally very favourable within it at least with whole grain bread granary bread you have some kind of fibre you have whole grain you've uh, you've got it's slightly more nutritional but the, th- the thing is if the dog is on a complete balanced dry food which, which they should really be there isn't really any nutritional need for bread or anything else like that you're getting all your different things and again you're probably better if you're wanting to give your dog treats you're probably better to use specifically formulated dog treats um, which have been formulated following I mean the big pet food companies they put a huge amount of money and research into formulating healthy nutritious treats and healthy nutritious food so I would tend to go with them but yeah the odd corner of white bread is fine for your dog but it's not really going to introduce anything amazing into their diet you know um, so I think probably fine as an occasional treat but I wouldn't I wouldn't be giving them fill them full of bread I remember years ago my my, my dad, who was a great man, he had d- different breeds of dogs all his life and he loved them. Uh, when the transition, when we'd have puppies and the transition of the puppy from the mum's yeah. milk to food, yeah. he did bitties, he called them, oh, little right, bits little, of white bread and milk, milk and he'd yeah, soak yeah, them. Yeah, I remember and, that and, as and well. the puppies would eat the bitties, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that would get them across yeah, then in the yeah. transition. Something like that, that's a kind of, because it's kind of mushy, it's a bit like bring, feeding your baby when you're feeding the first food, you're kind of having soft, mushy food. So, yeah, maybe in that situation. But again, I'd be a great believer that, you know, formulated puppy food is your best way to go. So I, I would just be careful. Human food just tends to bring with it a few problems in, in, in dogs. And I would be, you know, worried about it. I would tend to, you know, stick mainly to, to the dog food. We have a rabbit question. Fantastic. There are bunny lovers out there. I know it. Sinead, could our pet rabbit catch myxomatosis? My daughter says her friend's rabbit did and died. Yeah, absolutely. Your pet rabbit can catch myxomatosis. Myxomatosis is endemic in the wild rabbit um, population. So if you are, your rabbit doesn't even need to come into contact with rabbits. I mean, if you're out in the country and you maybe carry in maybe some rabbit droppings or um, uh, body fluids or anything on your feet or on your welly boots, and if your rabbit comes into contact with them, then your rabbit can catch myxomatosis. Um, Myxomatosis actually spreads primarily by fleas, rabbit fleas and the good news is there's a vaccine against myxomatosis so you can get go to your vet there's two diseases that rabbits are vaccinated against, myxomatosis and a thing called VHD, viral hemorrhagic disease which are both killers so definitely from I think it's from about six, we- six weeks upwards your rabbit can get vaccinated so go and phone your vet and get the vaccines done. Okay, very important to get that done. While on the subject of fleas another message coming to us on 086-1800-658 this afternoon. Uh, Jim has an eight week old puppy and and wants your advice on treating for fleas. Yeah, okay. Um, I don't know if you've actually seen fleas on the on the puppy yet. So if you have, then you need to. There's a number of different spot on preparations that can be used on puppies, normally from six weeks upwards. So probably your best port of call is your vet, and just ask them to recommend a spot on, a topical spot on, uh, and that will uh, kill any fleas and will protect them for a month. Um, the different brands have different minimum ages, but I'm fairly certain that six weeks plus is for all of them. So certainly Frontline can be used. 
um, from, from eight weeks. So uh, so go and have a chat with your vet. The other thing about treating the puppy for fleas, you'll need to treat any other animals in the house, whether they have fleas or not. You'll need to put a protective treatment on them and you'll need to treat the house. Because if you have fleas in the house, then the fleas actually spend most of their time off the animal in the corners and crevices and nooks and crannies in your kind of carpets and things like that. And the fleas will survive in your house and keep laying eggs which hatch into larvae, which hatch into adult fleas. So you'll need to get some treatment for the house. And again, your vet can advise you on that. Thank you very much, Sinead. Jerry's been on to us. Believe it or not, we have a question about a hen. God, they're really diversifying for you. On la- I know the dogs and the cats dominate here, but what about this one? Jerry says he has one hen, mm. lives outside in a coop, and again, he's been listening to us talking about the dog and the, the colder weather yeah. coming. Is that hen okay in the coop? It just depends maybe how well insulated your coop is and I mean what kind of bedding you have down there for the hen um, what kind of it sounds a bit a bit sad little hen on its own I mean I wonder <laughs> should you maybe get some more chickens because then they'll normally hens tend to kind of roost so they need somewhere safe to roost to kind of sleep that's up off the ground um, and that's to say they need a good insulated coop so I think you need to check the structure of your coop and just check that it's mm. the right size yeah. You know I was thinking that as well this lonely little hen out there in the coop on its own Sinead Brazel's in there and the tears are straight and down yeah. our face emotional get another one needs yeah, a bit of absolutely. company and you can actually you can do um, you can rescue hens that used to be in battery farms as a, a big if you look it up online if you're looking for a good thing to do um, often the battery farms are looking to get rid of their older hens that are no longer going to use them and so they can actually be rehomed so something like that have a look into that Hi uh, Jerry. will you ask Sinead this one for me please my German Shepherd dog has been diagnosed with exorine pancreatic insufficiency she's two years old. Right, okay. I mean, that's not uh, amusing or interesting that you've said German Shepherd because German Shepherds seem to be predominantly or seem to be predisposed to exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. What that basically means is that they their pancreas is not producing enough of the digestive enzymes that normally it would produce to digest primarily fats. And so because a dog isn't able to digest fats, they tend to lose weight and they tend to have very fatty, foul-smelling diarrhoea. Normally the treatment for that is that they need a lifelong supplementation with pancreatic enzymes with synthetic pancreatic enzymes or what some people do is they actually feed them pancreas that's come from the, the abattoir that, that's come from uh, from dead cattle um, so have a chat with your vet I mean presumably your dog is on some kind of supplementation often as well they need maybe um, multiple multivitamin mineral supplements as well um, sometimes they're low in what we call folate and cobalamin because they've got chronic diarrhoea and chronic maldigestion and malabsorption so but as I say it is uh, the German Shepherd is overrepresented in the dogs that suffer from that but it is treatable you just need to get the replacement enzymes also what you need to normally do is have a, a low fat diet if you have a diet if you give the dog snacks that are fatty again it'll the, just the dog doesn't have enough pancreatic enzyme to digest them but but definitely go and have a chat with your vet Anne's been on to ask you Sinead uh, is our small dog in any danger when playing in the garden as we have a local fox no, uh, people get very worked up about foxes and think that they're these really dangerous kind of attacking kind of creatures. I worked with foxes for about six years when I worked as a wildlife vet for the RSPCA in the UK. And trust me, foxes are actually terrified of dogs and cats and humans and they will do pretty much anything to avoid um, you know, being cornered by them or being caught. So I would say no. I, I wouldn't have said that your fox is in any, you know, or your dog is in any uh, danger from the fox at all. Um, if you like, I think having foxes in your garden is 
great. I'd be there. I'd be there encouraging you to feed them and things like that. A lot of people don't like them and see them as vermin, but each to their own. They all have different ideas. But no, um, you know, your your average fox only weighs about three or four kilos, so they're actually maybe the size of a small dog, but the weight only of about a cat. And in any situation, really, it's only if they get absolutely cornered by somebody, maybe by a human trying to catch them, that then they would bite. But other than that, they're they're safe. My God, we're going round the house with creatures today for sure. Thank you, Liam, for your question. Sinead, what advice would you give to me to encourage a pair of kakariki parrots to breed? They get on very well, but there doesn't seem to be any chemistry between them. They also have a budgie keeping them company. Would that be the problem? Um, well, the problem I suppose that you have is is you have parrots as pets and parrots are meant to be living in the wild, flying in the jungle. That's where they're meant to be. So it's very difficult for us, even if they're captive bred parrots, which hopefully they are and hopefully they haven't been taken from the wild. Um, but it's very, very difficult to match, you know, the, the wild environment or the wild um, atmosphere. So, I mean, I mean, you know, one option, I don't know, I presume they're in a cage in the house, something like that, unless yeah. they're in an aviary. I mean, one yeah, I'd option say is maybe... I'd say they're a house cage. A house yeah. cage. I mean, you're other option is seeing can you go for some real behavioural environmental enrichment and trying to construct an aviary outside where you have lots of foliage and trees and just nice little hidey places for them but other than that I, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head myself which will encourage them to breed you find the same problem in animals kept in zoos in captivity they're often reluctant to breed because they're not in a natural environment so as I say parrots are gorgeous creatures but they're particularly gorgeous in the wild and sometimes we keep them as pets and we're not really doing them a kindness because living in a cage isn't really what they would normally be doing. So think about an aviary, something like that. Um, other than that, I can't think of... Okay, sorry, habitat, Liam, yes. Yeah. Uh, fresh habitat, something that might encourage them. There's another one I'm sure that people have uh, experienced uh, that our dog lovers has just come to us. It says, uh, Jerry, I had two dogs. I had to get one of them put down. My other dog seems to be really down in herself and sleeping a lot. Should I bring in a new dog? Oh, that's kind of up to you. Um, it depends how sociable and how well socialised that dog is. I mean, it's not it's not un, unusual for the remi- remaining dog to be sad and almost to kind of go into mourning after one dog disappears. So, I mean, normally that's a phase and they grow out, they kind of develop themselves out of it. Um, if you're wanting to get a new dog for them, um, then I think you need to do a bit of research. If you're going to somewhere like the Dogs Trust, for example, they want you to... To, to introduce your new dog to your old dog and they do a very prolonged kind of integration period to, to see if that's going to work. So that's something you should think about. <clears throat> you should know yourself whether your dog is good with other dogs. You know, for example, when you go on a, on a walk, is your remaining... Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Dog quite well socialized and is he looking to play and looking to talk to the other dogs? If he is, then probably introducing a new dog, you know, would go well. But the other thing you need to ask yourself is, are you ready for a new dog? Often when we lose a dog, we're heartbroken and it's really hard to then go and feel like you're replacing it or getting a new one. So don't rush into it just because you feel your existing dog is distraught that that phase will 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 go and they will come back into themselves and you might find that actually just living with one dog is is what you prefer at the moment patricia's been in touch from dundalk this afternoon hello patricia jerry could you please ask sinead if milk is bad for dogs it's not that it's bad for dogs uh, but of the let's say you give milk to 20 dogs uh, probably a significant percentage of those dogs would have upset uh, guts would have diarrhea and and wouldn't digest it or absorb it properly so i would say be very careful with it there's no need for them to get milk because they're getting a complete balanced diet otherwise um but as i say if you're going i would just be wary of it if your dog has any problems with vomiting or diarrhea or or weight loss or malabsorption then i would stay away from milk because the lactose often it's just too much for them and they won't absorb it properly oh sinead sinead brazil wants to know you know sinead is a cat called marvin love the name sleeping a lot now at this time of the year is that to do with the seasonal change because full of beans in the summer and autumn? Yeah, no, they don't normally have a kind of winter kind of depression. I mean, the possibility is, is he may be a bit depressed because there's another cat outside in his territory that's kind of bullying him or, or um, intimidating him a little bit. Uh, I'm presuming that he's eating and drinking okay and everything else is all right. There's no other clinical signs, in which case I'd say he's fine. But I wonder, has he had some kind of emotional trauma or emotional impact outside? Um, you know, has something upset him or made him feel a little bit depressed or down himself? But I wouldn't normally hear people describing that their cats get like a seasonal depression. I take it, Marvin's a he-cat and either there's a, a he-rival or there's a floozy out there somewhere, Sinead. You may get out there this evening and have a look. No, no, he's neutered. He's neutered. <laughs> oh, he's neutered. He's all right, neutered. So all right, I don't think right. he's that way But applying. Sinead thinks you should just check out there's a, a new kid on the block or something right. and yeah. your poor cat is is feeling the effects. Just before we finish, because we are heading into Halloween season, Sinead, and I know when you come to us every year, you do like to talk about this for a few moments. Bangers, they're going good already your dogs and cats oh yeah it's up those kind of noises and lights and sounds are just absolutely terrifying for dogs and cats so I mean I would you know if your dog or cat isn't a house cat or a house dog already then I would turn them into house dogs or cats for the next few weeks because they just they can get so terrified and so afraid that they run you know bolt go go missing disappear um, even if you have your dog out uh, you know in the evening time and the dog is off the lead be really careful because they could get a fright from a banger and run across the road something like that uh, and as for if you're inside with your dog keep the curtains shut so they can't see the lights maybe have the television on the radio on just some kind of noise and activity to kind of drown out the sound of the fireworks earlier on if you if if uh, something to think of for next year is there's a uh, little desensitization videos and audio that you can get for your dog to get them used to the sound of the bangers but that's going to be a bit too late for that now at this time of the year so mainly the main uh, main attempt is really keeping your dogs and cats in and safe and minimizing the effects of the sounds Good advice there. Take care over the Halloween and mind them. Sinead Kelly, thank you so much. Brilliant as usual. Looking forward to seeing you next time in November. Thank you so much. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie.
My next guest is Director, Senior Nutritionist and Research Director at Glenville Nutrition. She's also a member of the Wellness Crew who provides support to employees in business on nutrition, phys- nutrition, physical and mental health and financial, by the way. Uh, today, Kira Wright joins us to talk primarily about nutrition and fertility. And Kira, let me say, I'm so looking forward to talking to you. Thank you for joining us on the show. Not at all. I'm delighted to you, be here. You are very welcome. First up, it is a fact, a lot of couples struggle to conceive um, before somebody heads the IVF route is it worth looking at nutrition and lifestyle? Definitely that's 100% absolutely um, and, and the, the statistics say one in six one in five couples but we all know that they're probably underreporting a little bit so there are definitely a lot of couples out there that are trying and maybe struggling and we know also that couples are leaving it a little bit later in life so they can have a little bit more trouble than maybe they're expecting. So looking at your nutrition and lifestyle is an easy first step and everybody should do it whether they're having trouble or not. I mean, when we get pregnant, often that's the first time we look at our diet and our lifestyle to think, actually, maybe we should be changing a few things. We stop the alcohol, we cut down on the caffeine and all of that. So before and just around the time, maybe when you're having the chat and thinking, will we start trying? You know, is this the time for us? Then's the time to be looking into making some nutrition and lifestyle changes. So you'd say, what, three months minimum, maybe even six months if you're having that chat to say, let's, you know, do a bit of work here on our own physical makeup and how we're eating, etc. That's a good time then. Yeah, that's the ideal. Of course, everybody doesn't have six (laughs) months. You know, sometimes things happen. Um, Three months is a perfect window because for, you know, for actual biological reasons sperm take three months to be produced and for women we're born with all of our eggs but if you think about it they're kind of in the deep freeze for the the whole time we're growing up and everything and then they start to come out of the deep freeze over a three month period before the winner ovulates and you can impact the egg quality quite a bit in that three months so three months is an ideal time if you have it to think about your nutrition Now we're talking today and we're going to talk about women and men because There's two parties to this equation and we must never forget that because sometimes the focus is, you know, on the woman, you know, nearly entirely. And that that's wrong. But let's start with women and we will come on to the boys in a moment. Overweight, I've heard of in the past, you know, carrying too much weight, being obese, that in itself can be a major no, no when it comes to pregnancy. It can. It can have a big impact, specifically in conditions like polycystic ovary syndrome. And that's probably... It's quite common and you can have kind of ranges of it. It used to be that you had to qualify these three criteria. Now we know that there's a huge big range. And if you're having any kind of ovulatory difficulties, you could have PCOS. And being overweight in that scenario is even worse. But in general, for everybody, yes, being being overweight can kind of play havoc with your hormones and can play havoc with ovulation. So it is an important factor when it comes to your fertility. Now, here's the thing. I'm in that situation today and I'm carrying whatever uh, weight is too much. And I know it that I need to lose maybe a lot, maybe a, a medium amount or maybe just a little. You have written, and I've seen this, it's very important the way you shed that weight, that to go on a crash diet, to try and lose it overnight. No, this will cause other problems. Indeed. So if you're going on a crash diet or really restricting your calories, you're going to increase your production of your stress hormone called cortisol. And that, in effect, can increase 
interfere with your sex hormone production as well. So you don't want to do anything extreme. You want to be converting to what's pretty well known now as the fertility diet. So there's been a whole bunch of studies and they're all slightly different and they all look at slightly different populations in a slightly different way. But they're pretty much all saying the same thing, that the diet should be less meat, less sugar, less processed foods, more fish, more of your pulses, like your chickpeas and your lentils and things, plenty of veg, plenty of fruit. So just a vet, what we all know as a as a kind of a healthy diet. It's going to help you in the long run anyway. It's going to make for a healthier pregnancy. It's probably going to reduce your risk of gestational diabetes, all of those kind of things. There's going to be lots of benefits to doing that. But it is generally going to be a good fertility diet and probably help you lose weight as well. Okay, so shed the weight gradually, get your diet in sync. In the Mediterranean, I take it, they're more fertile than us in this neck of the woods because you you mentioned the Mediterranean diet. That's effectively the Mediterranean diet with a little Mm. bit of quirks, yeah. Mm. Um, So, and they have other things down there like the sun. So, uh, (laughs) to help. I know, so they have much more vitamin D than we do and that is linked with your fertility. So, studies have shown that countries in the north of Europe, so the further away from the hemisphere, Mm. have the higher rates of infertility and we tend to conceive more in the summer months than we do in the winter months. And that is supposedly linked to your vitamin D. Now, where does BMI fit into this body mass index? You know, I was looking at it before you came today and I was just looking at the height and the weight and what's ideal and that. Is that a good measure? It's a very crude measurement. So the reason it's used is because it's really easy for everybody to do themselves and it's really easy to do on a massive population. But it's not very accurate, particularly if you exercise and you have any kind of muscle mass. That's actually going to bring your weight up, but you're really lean. You don't have a lot of body fat. So the example is, I don't remember, if you remember the movie Twins with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Of course I do. A classic so Danny DeVito, short, a little bit overweight, yep. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger, built like a house. They have the same BMI. So you can see because Arnie weighs a ton, but he's pure lean muscle, he, his BMI means nothing. He's I'd actually, I actually can't believe that, that you've said that. But that is a yeah, fact. That's a fact, yeah. And that really sums it up, you know, that yeah. a crude measurement, as you say. But one that's not bad if you, if you have to refer to it, it's OK. Yeah, a great one to do is to look at the weight that you carry around your middle. So that's the bad fat that causes inflammation, which can have an impact on your fertility and can impact on your hormones. So what we do is say to get any length of rope or string or you can use the cord off your dressing gown. And stand on one end and hold it up to the tip top of your head. So you're taking your height, mm-hmm. fold it in half and then see if that goes around your waist. So your waist should be less than half of your height. So if you can't close that cord around your belly, then you're a little bit... I'm going to get a cord <laughs> at half three as soon as this okay, shows wait. <laughs> I am just dying to do that now. That's a great tip, isn't it? And a very easy thing to do. You can do and it a better time. rudimentary measure, you'd say, than the BMI. Absolutely, yeah. And an easy thing to do at home. That is brilliant. So there you are. That's your homework on late lunch from Kira for this afternoon. If you do nothing else, let's talk about the boys for a moment. Um, because men, you know, uh, are probably quite, they are quite different. We are quite different to the female species. Um, overweight, again, carrying weight for a man who's trying to have a baby with his partner is a major problem also. Yes, that's also a problem. And male fertility, as you're mentioning, is just as important. So it's 50-50 
female fertility and male issues. And we'd always recommend that you do get your checks done at the start. Traditionally, years ago, it used to be the woman would pop down to the GP and get her hormones checked and get herself a big checked out. But we highly recommend that the men get checked out from the get-go. There's no point in the woman doing tests and waiting a year later and then finding out that it's a male problem as well. So both in it together. And, you know, if you both have to lose a bit of weight then doing it together is going to be far easier and changing your diet and, you know, having each other for support Um, and losing that middle weight like we've been talking about. So again, standing on your scales sometimes isn't very effective. If you're doing a little bit of extra exercise, which is something we'd recommend to lose a a few pounds, you could be increasing your muscle mass and standing on your scales and nothing is moving and you're getting awfully frustrated. Feel it in your belt. If your belt is getting looser, you're doing the right thing. Okay, and that's a simple rule of thumb as well. Now for the sperm, and very important it is, key of course, hot baths for boys. No? So yeah, temperature has been shown to, and that's one of the reasons why the testicles are on the outside of the body, to keep the temperature lower. So if you go and get into a hot bath or a sauna or you wear, you know, tight cycling shorts or you use heated car seats or the laptop on the lap when you're working at home, you know, on hours on end, you can feel the, the heat of your yeah. laptop, can't you? Tell me about it. I've often been editing stuff on the laptop for here and I know what you're actually talking about. But really, heated car seats. Yes, heated car seats are to be avoided as well. So anything that's going to increase the heat of that scrotal area. Now, in saying that, some of the research will, you know, they'll be really, they'll be wearing these heating belts and they'll really increase the temperature for quite a lot. And maybe that's not realistic as to what happens in the in the real world. But if there's small things you can do, if you have a problem and you can fix it, the great thing about sperm is that they're, they're produced every single day. So they're being made all the time. So mm. any little changes you make can make that next set of sperm that you make that little bit better. What about the mobile phone? Because it, it tends to heat. You know, there's a bit of heat in this thing and some people carry it in their pockets as well, close to the erogenous zone. Should you watch out for that? Yeah, and again, there's only a small amount of research, although there's more research coming out now on that. And again, if it doesn't bother you, so the thing about lifestyle recommendations is there's no harm in it. Are you, is there any harm in taking your mobile phone out of your pocket and being a little bit mindful about leaving it on the table instead of leaving it in your pocket, uh, putting it in your bag or putting it in your coat pocket instead of your jeans pocket? There's simple things that you can just be a little bit mindful of. There's zero risk involved. Do you know what I mean? So there's there's no harm in trying these things if you think you have or if a test has told you that you have an issue with your sperm and it might just help you a lot. Exercise, you know, exercise will, of course, help to reduce weight. And I know you talk about moderate exercise. You don't have to start running 5Ks or 10Ks or marathon. But but a, a bit of exercise also in this context is helpful, very helpful. Very helpful. So inflammation is a source of damage in the body, let's say. So if you imagine inflammation being a little bit like a fire and what we call antioxidants are like fire extinguisher. You need antioxidants to protect your sperm and you don't want inflammation in your body, which is damaging. So gentle exercise can reduce inflammation in the body and can reduce things like stress and of course manage your weight. So gentle and moderate exercise is good. You're dead right. You shouldn't 
embark on these on a triathlon for the first time ever when you're trying to conceive it could mess with your hormones it could cause excess inflammation and excess stress which you don't want but bringing down stress levels bringing down inflammation and then making sure you have enough antioxidants in your body comes from your nutrition Kira writes with us on late lunch this afternoon and we're talking about nutrition and fertility can I come now to, to lifestyle matters and of course many people enjoy a tipple maybe one too many at times as well Kira. Uh, you know, to indulge in food at times. You know, the takeaway is there. We go out eating as well. It's so easy to eat bad food. Talk about alcohol first and, and, and the implications of too much alcohol on fertility. OK, so the good news is you don't have to abstain abstain entirely. So that's good news. There's a so, cheer. I hear yeah. a cheer. And, and we always say moderation. Take it's it. You know what I mean? Don't go mad. Everything in moderation. Yes. So if you stick to the general guidelines and you're having a glass of wine at the weekend with your dinner, that's absolutely fine. If you're doing IVF now, that's slightly different. You're taking an awful lot of medications, hormones. You would be well recommended to just stay off the alcohol during that time. But for normal couples or for anyone just trying to conceive, you don't have to come off it altogether until you're actually pregnant. Um, Cutting down now, if you are taking a bit too much at the weekend or binging is probably a good idea. Probably more more so from the weight point of view, actually. There's no real, you know, direct evidence that alcohol has a massive impact, let's say, on sperm health or egg quality. But just in moderation, it's a good idea. And it's no good, as you alluded to earlier on when we were speaking about having uh, the test done by one party and not the other. It's no good the lady or the man cutting down on alcohol, you know, one or other. It's both. Both need to yeah. engage here. Yes. yes. And if you can do it together, of course, that's the easiest thing to do because then you'll maybe go to the cinema instead of going to the pub and maybe do some less alcohol-related socialising mm. or you know yourself that you'll be able to give each other the nod, right, we're going now, you know, it's getting a bit too yes. <laughs> saucy here. We'll head home. <laughs> we're trying to be sensible or whatever. Good and stuff. then you both get up fresh in the morning yeah. and neither person is feeling the effects of it and you can go off and do something fun for the day. What about the whole area of smoking? Now, I know how many years have we been told about this? Lots of people have given up smoking. We know this. Fantastic, yes. The ban in public places, socialising has been absolutely brilliant. I suppose it's convincing younger people now not to take up the habit. Younger people that are smoking than ever. It's fantastic. A no-no here? Absolutely. definitely no-no. Definitely no-no. And almost more so for the men. So during pregnancy, absolute no-no. I mean, it interferes with the oxygen delivery to the baby. It has pretty severe effects. I think we all know that, that Mm. you're not meant to smoke during pregnancy. But even in the run-up while you're producing, making sperm, so in that three-month lead-up, to a pregnancy, smoking damages the DNA. Okay, so it da- that's why, you know, it gives us lung cancer and things like that. But it also damages the DNA within the sperm. Now, to a certain extent, that can be repaired, but beyond a little bit of damage, it can't be repaired. And that can cause a lot of problems. So it not only can, can prevent you conceiving in the first place, it could cause a miscarriage or it can have genetic effects going on into the offspring that you mm. might not even know about. So smoking in men is a real no-no if you can cut it out. Best not. That's the message today. Let's come back to nutrition and food in particular. And I'm going to talk about a, a wee menu I have here that, that you produced in, in one of your papers. But just before that, you know, we love the takeaway. You know, people love the takeaway. Well, you know, it should be once in a while, but some people eat quite a bit of takeaways and eat out a lot. And, you know, it's very easy to obtain poor food in, in, in this country, especially. You know, it's 
deep fried, it's not good for your high end fats, you name it. What's okay in a week, say in an average week, to have, you know, to pig out on a takeaway and enjoy something like that? Yeah, so on, I mean, most people, a lot of people would have takeout, say, once a week, maybe on a Friday night. We're Is that all okay? tired. It depends on the takeaway. There are healthier versions of takeaway. I mean, Thai food in general. It would be a lot healthier. Even some Indian foods would be a lot healthier maybe than the chipper or even the pizza. So they would be very, very high in saturated fat, very little nutrients in them whatsoever. Whereas a Thai curry has some coconut milk in it. It has got a bit of saturated fat, maybe not quite so much as the deep fried foods. You might even be able to sneak a few vegetables in there. It's served with rice, which is usually just steamed. You can, of course, opt, usually ask for the brown or the wild rice or something. But even if you don't, rice is going to be better than deep fried chips. So I would always recommend go for a curry or something like that. It still takes away the cooking and yes. the cleaning and that's what yeah. we're really all trying to get away from at the end of the week <laughs> <laughs> so listen don't deny yourself that but be wise and try and eat as healthily as possible and pick your menus and your destinations for the takeaway as well now I had a look at a little recommendation you made and I suppose it's the thing is and I know this it, it's the lazy option to go for the takeaway frequently and you know to go for the convenience that you buy in the supermarkets as well but it's not hard to rustle up I'm just looking at here your plan here so let's begin with breakfast. And this is all, folks, again, in relation to fertility, but in, in life in general as well. You recommend, I had two eggs this morning, I'm delighted, Kira, to be able to Super. tell you that, but that was a big exception. I normally don't <laughs> eat breakfast, I have to be honest with you. Two boiled eggs, tomato with a slice of whole grain toast. Good start to the day, yes. Great start to the day, plenty of protein, lovely choline in those eggs that is great for pregnancy. Um, that'll keep you going and it'll prevent you, hopefully, from snacking earlier on in the day. And then when we talk about that mid-morning snack, snack most people, we go in here, the cups of tea and coffee, Kira, that fly about in here. That kitchen is full of cakes and buns that are sent in to us. You know, it's a minefield in here in LMFM Radio. But you, you talk about, you know, fresh carrot, pepper sticks and hummus. Yes, if you can stretch to it. So often what we say to people, it's, it's organisation is the key. If you're making a really big effort to be healthy, bring in your lunch or unless you know that there's a good lunch place nearby or at least maybe bring in a snack. So chop up a pepper or something. You might be doing it anyway for, your, mm. you know, kids lunch box or something like that. Not if you're going for fertility. Um, but piece of fruit, like just bring in a piece of fruit from home. Ideally, of course, you'd have a lovely fruit bowl in your office <laughs> instead of the basket of donuts or whatever it is or the muffins. Um, but if you could bring a piece of fruit and a handful of nuts from home. It's nothing that has to be cooked yes. or prepared in detail. Yeah, the night nice before. for mid-morning. Lunchtime, the wrap, something like that and a bit of fruit again, yes? Yeah, perfect. If you can go for super salad, that's fine. And, you know, wrap is just a better option than, say, the baguette. There's an awful lot of carbohydrate there in, the, in a baguette. And even in a sandwich, if you visualise a sandwich versus a salad and you were thinking about the vegetables that might get into a salad or mm. a sandwich, you might get a couple of slices of tomato, maybe a leaf of lettuce, perhaps a bit of onion. That's about all that will fit into a sandwich. Whereas if you visualise a whole plate of salad, you're going to be getting about three of your five portions of veg right there and then for your lunch, Mm. rather than maybe not even half in a sandwich. Yes. So if you can opt for 
a salad or even an open sandwich. Again, if you're making it yourself, instead of the two slices of bread, bring one slice of nice brown soda bread, put the chicken or the tuna or the egg or whatever on top and then a little bit of salad around the side. Doesn't need to, you don't need to be a gourmet chef to mm. make a salad. Mm. Chop up a couple of raw veggies and throw them in a lunchbox. Mid-afternoon snack, rice cakes, peanut butter, banana sliced. Again, a parallel with the morning nearly as such. Yes, and you might not need a mid-morning and a mid-afternoon yeah, stack. You one. might just need one or the other, depending on your day. Some people's days start at six in the morning. They might need a mid-morning snack. Some people are a little bit later, but they find that if they eat lunch at one, they don't get home through the commute. They're not eating till seven. That's a very long gap to have mm. until their dinner. So if they can have a mid-afternoon snack, then... That keeps you going. And your body tells you as well, if you're hungry, you need something and have something healthy. It's talking to you. Yes. And if you have to wait all the way till seven-ish to have your dinner, the chances are you're going to be very stressed, which can play havoc with your hormones. But also you're going to overeat at your dinner time because you'll be ready to ravenous and then it's full and it's lining your belly and it's there all (laughs) night you wake up in the morning and say what the hell did I have all that stuff for yesterday evening but finally just last thing dinner time say round the evening time early evening or that I just saw on this your suggested menu I love it baked salmon with oven roast vegetables and a small baked potato Mm, that's my kind of oh, good. tea time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you can get in oily fish, oily fish are really high in omega three. Good um, for fertility. Excellent for fertility. The outside of sperm is effectively made of omega three fats. So if you're not getting enough in your diet, you're not going to have enough to make lovely health. What about sperm. supplements? So supplements are always there to supplement your diet. So obviously you need to have a good healthy diet in the background. And then there are key supplements that are very important. I mentioned vitamin D. So during the winter, almost all of us should be taking vitamin D. Best thing to do is to test your levels because you can have too high and you can have too low. Um, Similarly, there is antioxidants that help protect our sperm and protect our eggs as they're developing. So these would be vitamins like vitamin C, vitamin E and the, the minerals that form antioxidant compounds are, vitam, are zinc and selenium. So we get them in our fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds. So we always try and get a handful of nuts in as a snack or throw some seeds in on your breakfast or whatever. But if you don't have high enough uh, levels, getting something in in a, in a good fertility um, supplement is, is a good place to start. It's a good addition as well. Fascinating. Well, if you haven't got it in one there this afternoon, I don't know what to say. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. And Kira, if people want to find out more information about you and what you do. Uh, ie for the nutrition related to fertility. And then I also run a corporate wellness company um, called The Wellness Crew. So that's thewellnesscrew.ie. Thank you so much. See you again. Thank you, Jerry. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. If this doesn't wet your whistle, I don't know what will. Sean Boylan, Colm O'Rourke, Joe Castles, Colm Coyle, David Beggy, Martin O'Connell and many more besides all together again under the one roof this Friday evening in the Knightsbrook Hotel at 7 o'clock and moderated by Sunday Sport presenter David Sheehan who joins me on the line. Afternoon, David. Afternoon, Jerry. Thanks for taking the call. Well, this is exciting to get this crew together again. They're significant in the history of Mead football, David. 1988. Tell our listeners why. 
Well, I mean, 1988, I suppose, was the year that me did the double, uh, winning back-to-back All-Irelands. They obviously won in 1987. They had that big breakthrough against Dublin in 1986, winning the first Leinster final in many years. Came up short against Kerry in that semi-final against that great Kerry team that was just coming to the end. And then I suppose a coincidence or a coincidental kind of development was the fact that me kind of tr- overthrew Dublin at the same time as Cork got by Kerry. And then those two sides kind of had that rivalry towards the back end of the 1980s and into the early 90s, um, the 1990 Ireland final, of course, as well, which Cork won. But those two finals in 87 and 88, particularly the replay, I suppose, in 88, which looking back at it now, it doesn't seem too controversial. But at the time, certainly got an awful lot of negative publicity and, and most of that falling on the Mead side, I suppose. Yeah, and 87, when you mentioned they got the better of Dublin 86, and again in 87, and again in 88, in, in the Leinster decider. My God, when you think of today, how Mead were ruling the roost back then. But when they got to the final, we'll talk about 87 first, the first year they won it. Uh, and Mead beat Cork in that final, 114 to 11 points. Mm. Um, Colm O'Rourke's goal significant. Yeah, well, the funny thing about that game, if I remember remember rightly, I think Cork led by something like five points to one early in that game. And, and many people listening in will remember Mick Lyons' famous block on Jimmy Kerrigan. He ran straight through the middle of the mid defence and looked like there was a goal, certain goal on for Cork. And Mick Lyons came out of nowhere almost and made that full-length block, which which many people will remember very well. And, and me then... I think it was shortly after that I could be wrong went up and got the goal at the other end Colm mm. O'Rourke kind of, it, was a, it was a fortuitous goal in some ways in the way it broke back to O'Rourke and he palmed it into the corner of the net just beyond uh, Dennis Walsh she was running back to try and get to it couldn't get to it in time and then Mead won that game quite comfortably in the end um, that obviously set up then the, 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 the game in, 80, in 88 where in the drawn game um, off the back of that final in 87 I think a lot of people felt that Cork were bullied and Cork went out in that drawn game in 88 to I think stamp their authority on the game in a physical sense Colm O'Rourke got an awful belt off Barry Coffey I think O'Rourke said in his book it was one of the worst hits he ever got in the game Brian Stafford had a split lip Danny Allen who'll be with us on Friday night laid out Mick Lyons with an elbow and um, Mead were roughed up a little bit in that game got away with a draw with that fortunate David Beggy free right at the death yeah at the end it, it really <laughs> was it was very fortunate wasn't it when you look back and they were lucky to get the replay well, people don't realise, though, about that one, is if you look at the free court got to take the lead just before that, when Dave Barry was fouled, that was very soft as well, and Dave Barry admitted as much in, in the game, in the interviews after the game. The other unusual thing about it was, of course, as Cork fans have been quick to remind me, is a, a Kerry man refereed both of those games, Tommy Sugru, which would be unheard of now. It'd be unheard of, first of all, for a Kerry referee to referee a Cork in an All-Ireland final, and it wouldn't happen either that the same referee would do the draw and the replay. So different times on a number of levels. I know Tommy Sugru to this day still isn't a very popular man down in Cork. <laughs> and and the replay, there was nothing in it. 13 points to 12 to me. They just uh, nicked it in the end. But beating uh, a very good Cork side two years in a row, and just back to 87 for a moment, the other regret I think Cork have is Larry Tompkins. He was a tremendous place kicker, but in the second half of in that 87 final I think he kicked six wides you know yeah had, had a bit of an off day had a bit of an off day that day alright in the, in the 87 game and, and you know in the 88 game then I suppose in the drawn game bizarrely enough I was reading a piece from, from back then during the week and Cork only scored 1-9 in that drawn game it was 1-9 to 12 as I think you might have mentioned uh, Larry Thompson got 8 of those points 8 out of 1-9 mm. and yes um James McCartan Sr., the famous down player from the 60s, said after the game that he was the most selfish player he ever saw on the field and he should be dropped for the replay, which was quite quite a statement to make for somebody that got the bulk of their scores in that game. But yeah, you know, Jerry, I suppose I was just starting to get into football at that stage. I was only a young lad. Hard to believe at this point, I know. But uh, very fond memories for me growing up watching that team and, and all of the players that, that were on it who really, when you look back through the annals of me, football are, are among the greats. 
that ever played the game for me, you know? Yeah, because I, I was looking this morning, just to remind myself as well, never mind, you know, winning the two All-Irelands back-to-back, which is a very difficult thing to do, and, and in the era when there were very good sides there as well, really through Leinster and into the semi-finals, Meath ruled the roost. They were, they were supreme. This is a great team that's coming together, isn't it, on Friday with you? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, you know, this, this, this event, I suppose, to focus on it for a moment, Started off as basically I, I had the idea to, to get to get a few of the guys into the studio for for a chat some Sunday afternoon because we're thir- we're just beyond thirty years. It was the 9th of October nineteen eighty eight that they won that replay. Um, it was pushed by the, the drawn game was three weeks prior and it was pushed back because I think the marathon or something was on, so it was delayed. So we're thirty years on from that. Um, I originally had a plan of getting a few of the guys into the studio. Then I was chatting to our own Michael Carley in there, and we were like, "Why don't we do something a little bit bigger? Maybe have an outside broadcast in, in one of the pubs around me." And then we kind of said, well, "Why don't we go bigger again? Why don't we try and get a couple of the Cork lads up, get as many as me of the Mees lads as we can, get them all together in, in a room, record it for the station, have a live audience there. We'll do a Q and A. Obviously, I'll be there myself to ask the questions, but we'll take questions from the floor as well. So, if there's anybody there that wants to ask questions, or has always wanted to ask Jerry McEntee what he was thinking of when he got sent off, or ask David Beggy." where he learned to solo the ball so wildly and get away with it, they'll be obviously able to ask their questions as well. So I'm really looking forward to it. It should be a fantastic evening. You have a Cork input, which is significant, and they're great guys. They're coming to support you because I want to say the whole premise of this is to raise funds for the Sean Cox Fund, and and that's what the the whole thing is about. And I'm sure you're going to be packed out at the Knightsbrook on Friday. Dinny Allen, I heard you mentioning there. Who else is coming from Cork? Dinny Allen and Billy Morgan are the two Cork representatives coming up. It's it's uh, it's actually when you when you try to ring around lads and, and in fairness and we spoke to quite a few and there's a, there's a possibility that Niall Catalan might come yet. We're we're still trying to sort that out with him. He's just having a bit of trouble sorting something out, but he's very keen to come. In fairness to them, most of them were most of the guys we spoke to were very keen to make it up, but they just couldn't because of the bank holiday weekend. Larry Tompkins, for example, has the pub down there. It's jazz festival weekend in Cork, so mm. he couldn't make it up. But but Dinny to have Dinny and and uh, Billy Morgan, who is of course the manager coming up, will be fantastic. Uh, a fantastic boost for us, and I'm sure there'll be lots of people will uh, will want to ask questions of the two lads, you know. So, and as you say, there, the Sean Cox fund, it's obviously very worthy because the funny thing about these two teams, the animosity was obviously great during the days they played, but since those um, games in '87 and '88, John Kearns, who was in goals for Cork in those finals, and Mick McCarthy, who played corner forward for Cork, uh, both passed away, and the Cork guys were very quick to reference the fact that the Mead guys came down to those funerals in large numbers, and that's when the kind of frostiness sort of melted away from that relationship and, and a lot of them they were very good friends and, and we'll keep in touch so it should be a fantastic evening as you say all the money going to Sean Cox as well so it, I'm really looking forward to it it should be great and it will be opened up to the floor it's only a tenner in and all funds are going to the Sean Cox fund can you arrive on the night and just rock up and pay on well, the door yeah you can Th- things are going to kick off around about 7 o'clock in the night for hotel and trim on Friday night that's the 26th now, you can get tickets on the night. There'll be a limited number of tickets available, but I would really urge people, if you go on to eventbrite.ie, that's E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E dot I-E, and search under events for me, GA, you'll find the link there. You can get your ticket for a tenner, have it in your hand before you turn up, because we just want to avoid a load of people turning up on, on Friday without tickets and maybe not getting in, because so, there's limited enough space. So we really urge people to get their tickets ahead of time if they can at all. But obviously, on the night, there will be a limited number of tickets available. We'll have finger food there'll be a few prizes and a few things to give away and as I say questions from the floor as well so if people want to come along and ask their questions of the 
or the players, they'll be more than welcome to do so. And my God, when I see the the lineup already on the Mead side, the great raconteurs, they, they, they talk about this, they have wonderful, vivid memories, and they're going to reveal, I think, a few nuggets that haven't been spoken about before on this occasion. And the cork angle gives you the yin and the yang as well. So it's Friday night, this Friday, the 26th, 7 o'clock in the Knightsbrook. But beforehand, if you could book your ticket, it would be appreciated. Eventbrite.ie and Mead GAA will bring you in there to where the kick the tickets are. If you can't do that, do go along to the Knightsbrook on Friday. Great idea, David, supporting a wonderful cause and good luck to you on Friday. I'm sure you're going to be packed to the rafters. Please God, Jerry. Thanks for taking the call. Not at all. Thank you indeed. That's uh, David Sheehan there, presenter of Sunday Sport on LMFM Radio and all the crew will be there on Friday evening in the Knightsbrook. That's a lot on Late Lunch for this Tuesday afternoon. Have a nice evening. Take care of yourselves. And we leave you in the company of Mr. Robbie Williams. See you tomorrow. Come on, hold my hand. I want to contact the living. Not sure I understand this road I've been given. I sit and talk to God. And he just laughs at my plans My head speaks a language I don't understand I just want to feel Real love Feel the home that I live in Cause I got too much life Running through my veins 